This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Elk Shape Podcast, episode 47 with me, Dan Finsman, today bringing on my buddy, Jacob Villasenor, um, who doesn't like white man carne asada. <laughs> we'll get into that in a second. So what's up, man? Well, just... In school since season is kind of winding down, but uh, trying to get one last tag filled, whitetail, late season up here, and we'll see how that goes. Still new at it. so It's been cool to watch you grow as a hunter these last few years. You remi- I've told you before, you remind me of myself, um, except for I grew up in a hunting family. My dad hunted. Uh, not as hardcore as I've turned to be, but he's he hunted, and he showed me the ropes and got me really interested in being outdoors. Uh, you did not grow up in a hunting family. How did you get the bug or the fire under your ass to be in the hunting? Well, um, so yeah, nobody in my extended family hunts. Like, I'm the only one, um, besides some uncles that my dad says have hunted, but they're still in Mexico, so that's pretty far away from from anything I've been exposed to. Um, but I grew up on acreage, and so there was birds and stuff that would kind of fly around, and I was be looking at them and by the time I got a, a gun it was kind of I was chasing them in the backyard so I don't know where it came from but by the time I think I was in high school and my mom knew that I was kind of into that stuff so she sent me with my little sister to do hunter's ed so I got that out of the way even though I never was like planning on hunting oh wow that's great uh I think she just kind of was like he needs to be outside so <laughs> I'll, I'll do this he showed some interest but I never had anyone to take me so uh, I actually have a buddy of mine, uh, friends of friends. Um, I was taking care of a house, and he, he was a neighbor to them, and he bow hunted. So one summer, he's like, well, if you come load up a truck, uh, truck full of wood, then I'll take you grouse hunting. And so we, we like, climbed this hill, cut giant rounds, cut them with an axe, loaded up this truck, and then he's like, okay, let's go look for some grouse, and handed me a shotgun, and we... I tagged out and or limited out in half an hour probably and it was kind of the first exposure and I was pretty into it but 
it was not until probably three years later. So friend in high school, roommates in college, his family hunted. And he didn't do it for a year in college. And then my grandma gave me a call like, hey, I have these deer on my property. Uh, and she was like saying they were causing all sorts of issues, eating bushes. And I was like, well, I looked up the regs like, hey, can I do this? And my roommate had a muzzleloader. That's what they, they did mostly was muzzleload hunt. So it was in any deer tag. And I was like, grandma, I can come up and shoot deer. So that October or whatever, late September or whatever it was, we load up go up there and we're like out of the back door like you can see the house and we kind of get up out there way early just sitting there because it's not a big property and then my buddy goes inside uh, to relieve himself and so as he does that I was just walking the fence line and this these two deer pop out I was kind of like oh shoot this is game time so I drop back and these deer come out to the fence line and their property kind of went past their their fence so this deer walks out my roommate slams the door and so I'm like okay I probably should shoot this thing before they run off and so shoot captain go off shoot shoot the deer and then after that it was just like okay let's do this all the time so went elk hunting so your gun never fired my my gun fired the second shot and you got the deer and I got the deer so and then your buddy showed you how to gut it out and all that or I kind of I mean Doing a bird, and I had probably watched a ton of videos at that point because I'm the kind of person when I do something, I'm... Yeah, you're a nerd for sure. <laughs> <laughs> we can go ahead and go with that. Okay, so that, that started, how old were you? Uh, 20, 21. So 21, you got your first deer with a muzzy. I, I think it was 20. Okay, well, let's fast forward. How in the hell did you find me? I don't, I'm just get there. I don't know how <laughs> that, I'm trying to remember and I can't. So I went elk hunting. That was even more of like, this is what I need to do. Had some experiences where like nothing crazy, but like seeing a bull elk in the rut, pushing cows at first light, that kind of thing. It's like, I'm going to think about this all day long and for the rest of the year. So I think I hunted, it was the year you hunted Washington with your bow. Okay. So I was watching those videos and I was scouting the same unit. Yep. And I went in there and missed a six by six the first year back there. I didn't spend like straight days. I just kind of went in there and didn't see stuff, but had experiences, missed this bull. And then the following spring, I drew a spring bear tag, shot the bear. And I'd started filming. Like I, as soon as I started filming or hunting, I kind of bought a camera to carry along just because I was like, I want to document it. Yeah. yeah. And it kind of made my life harder because certainly there's certain things that I probably shouldn't have been doing, just focusing on trying to notch a tag versus getting it off film all at the same time. But uh, so I was watching a spring bear hunt of yours. I remember when it, it was probably 2016, 2015 season. And you had it at, you were kind of had a bait site and you were stalking in on it. I remember you'd set up the camera and you're stalking in on this bear. Like, man, that looks difficult. <laughs> and so, but I knew you had a decent camera and I, I think I was listening to a Gritty, pot, uh, Gritty Poman podcast at the time, and he was like, best way to learn how to get video is to practice on a real camera. Yeah, so I remember getting an email from a guy, and just, I think you did it pretty good as far as like, hey, you, you sold yourself on, look, I'm young, I have time, I'm fit, I can keep up, you know, I know you're self-filming, and that sucks, I can do, and I haven't, I've had a few people offer 
for elk especially and i've always just been selfish and like no i don't want anyone to film because i just never thought any i thought it would like ruin my hunt at the end of the day i would love to get it all captured but it was just like man it's so special sacred to me i didn't want to like try to bring somebody in and like worry about getting shots and i've done a lot of filming throughout the years for for tv and stuff like that and so i was like i don't know but anyways somehow i think we were like agreed to bring you to nevada and uh lampers ryan lampers of hunt health health what is it hunt hunt then harvest and have health uh ryan and i were going to meet there um and him and i kind of have an unspoken agreement when we hunt together it's like we're we may share a camp and that would be the most like we're gonna go hunt separately that's just kind of our style but um that Nevada trip was a short one. And I do remember, um, being really impressed with like, I never had to wait for you. You were always ready. You were rolling pretty good footage. You had an eye for the camera. Like you naturally had a good eye for good angles, good light. Um, and you stuck with me on a pretty tough hunt. Like it was a pretty tough hunt that we went on. Um, not terrible physically. Like I don't feel like we went that deep, but we were in a pretty good wilderness and it was just a challenging hunt. Um, and we didn't get it done. You got to watch me miss a bucket 40, 40 yards. Oh, man. That, we really... But I think you got to learn from me, too. Like, I will make it happen. Like, that last day, like, we just made it happen. Like, we hiked. And we didn't know that that was, like, foreshadowing for the Nevada hunt that we were going to do for elk two or three years later. But didn't expect it. I didn't even expect to be in Nevada 10 years down the road. Like... It takes time to draw it. I didn't have the cash to do it as a college student. And so just being able to have that experience was pretty cool. Yeah. And when you reached out to me and said, hey, I got now I have a Sony 4K <laughs> and I want to come film your Nevada hunt. And I was planning on going by myself for literally almost a month, just go solo. And I was like, God, you know, Jacob said he could come film for 10 days of my hunt. That's we might get it done, but it, we'll get some footage. Uh, he's great to have around camp. Let's do it. So that's, that's kind of what leads us into the Nevada hunt now. So for those listening, we are going to drop day by day, Nevada. Uh, they're not going to be 50 minute long videos with a, like a born and raised vibe at the end where we talk about each day and do giveaways. Uh, that's, that's kind of beyond my, um, capacity when I'm doing a side hustle, but what we are going to do is drop really nice 4k footage not a lot of editing, just kind of like sh literally take you guys along what we experienced. And you did a good job. I know you've seen some of the footage that you dropped. I got four days done already. Mm -hmm. I think we're going to drop them the last 10 days of 2018. We'll just do like a nice little, oh, you're on holiday break here. Day by day, we'll drop uh, an episode. And then you and I will get on the last one and kind of recap. But just just going over the first four days has been pretty fun. Uh, the videos are between 10 and 15 minutes. You got some ripping footage i mean my mind's blown for those that don't know like you know 4k footage is it trumps that 1080 oh yeah it's it's something else and when you're shooting it it's not like like when you go back and look you're like oh i shot that i shot that i shot that and then it all kind of ties stuff together and there's there's a lot of things you forget about you you remember the the highlights of the trips but then all the little the little stuff oh, comes yeah. back. Oh, yeah. I'm reliving it right now. And so it's been really a joy to edit. Uh, I can tell you right now, like, 
just in four days of being in Nevada, we'd already had moved camped four different times and we've driven my four wheeler 120 something miles, my truck a hundred miles. We've gone to town to get gas. We've had water hole wars with other hunters. Uh, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. It's going to be a good hunt. I don't know uh, what people will think, but I think they'll enjoy um, an actual video series that I didn't sell film. Like, it's always really nice to have you along. Now, I'm going to tell people some funny stories about Nevada. Um, Jacob got the worst yelling at him probably. Now, he's in the military, so he's had drill sergeants getting his face and everything else like that. But, like, I literally yelled at him so bad <laughs> one day that I actually had to apologize. Uh, it, was, it, was pretty, it was a pretty good one. Mm, it was up there. I wish we had the camera running. I, I, I turned it off because I knew it was going. <laughs> but you're like the nicest guy in the world. I've always, like my wife could vouch for me. Like I say nothing but the greatest things about you. Like you're so hardworking. And uh, if you're young and listening to this, like be like Jacob. Like he wasn't afraid or ashamed to reach out to anyone in the hunting industry. Uh, he wasn't afraid to like put himself out there, invest in some good equipment, what you could afford and have an open mind and be ready to learn, learn, learn and be a sponge. And then also like your research level is like level 10, like everything from hunting to um, YouTube videos and podcasts, equipment, gear reviews. Like I lean on you now for like the video stuff, like literally sold all my Canon stuff full frame and waiting for Black Friday here so I can drop a fortune, a small fortune on camera gear. And I made Jacob drop everything into the shopping cart because I know he knows what to get. But uh, have you always been like this driven? Just for certain things. I don't, it's, it's kind of grown, I think. But specific things like baseball when I was younger, just spend hours throwing a ball. Now I can't throw balls and my arm hurts when I do it. But um, no, just, just things like that and the military also kind of fostered being focused on things. So, I mean. Can you guys hear my kids in the background? <laughs> I apologize ahead of time, but mom's gone and they're, pro- hold on. Yeah. Okay. So I was saying, have you always been this driven when it comes to like things you're passionate about? Or is this just like the exception? Like you found your thing? I think that's part of it. It's, it's definitely the thing now. I think coming from that oh, I'd be interested in this, and i put a lot of effort into it, and then it'd kind of fade. People watching me, probably my parents mostly, were kind of like, well, is this going to ever end? Like, is he going to be this driven every year to, to get back and, and hunt? I think it's kind of becoming <laughs> becoming aware to them that it's not going away anytime soon. So, um, but yeah, I mean, there's there's so much stuff on the internet that you spend a little bit of time looking at the right stuff, and it just kind of settles so that's true so give us your highlights of the nevada hunt with me and your low lights let's kind of just give some people some teases so when that comes out in december they can watch it i think showing up to a new spot and kind of trying to work that curve of like where you should go it was it was a grind but at the same time it was really interesting like should we be high should we be low should we start calling should we all those different factors that kind of played into the hunt made it made it special and the fact that hunting with you you're just ready to get after it all the time it makes it it makes it cool so it's a grind going with me i mean as far as other people you've hunted with there's probably not that many people that are just um know how to take the fun right out of it like i that's my specialty like (laughs) 
Like <laughs> I'm not there to have fun. Like I'm on a like a mission, and I th- it still happens. Though. You still have fun, and I'm the same way. My my the people I hunt with probably are kind of like, hey, let's relax a little bit. But why are you relaxing when there's elk talking or there's time to find elk? You know. Like, unless your feet are soaking wet. Were you pretty impressed with some of the bulls we saw? Or were we, like, a little surprised that we didn't see a 350 around every corner? I think you talking about it taking 12 years to draw and then it being Nevada. And I think the first six, seven days were kind of underwhelming as far as a hunt would seem. There's still some cool moments for sure. Um, but, I mean, we had some pretty crazy, crazy experiences as well. So, and then... The last three days were 12-year draw kind of kind of days, but I think... Uh, Could you imagine hunting there? Let's say wife doesn't cut fingers off and I had you there for the whole hunt. Could you even imagine what that could have turned into? Lots of good footage, but family and family stuff happens like that. It was, it was definitely kind of like I saw it in you the first time you got that call. I tried to, I don't know even if I got it on, on camera, but I tried to record the phone call and he was, he was kind of just, you know... Well, this means a whole lot of different stuff going down from here on out. And then the day the day you killed, it was kind of just like you were, like, ready to – you needed to get home. So Yeah, and we did. We got home fast. Well, we uh, – kind of a cool little thing to talk about, and that's the fact that you shot your very first public land over-the-counter bull with a bow in a very short learning curve. You've – uh, not only just shot a bull, you shot a herd bull who had a ton of cows in an area that I've hunted and I know has 20 plus rigs parked at the trailheads and there is not that many trailheads. There's a couple and you can count on 20 plus rigs in Washington, which I've claimed and I've, it's just not, Washington's not the best place to hunt. In my opinion, I don't spend a lot of time, but you went and got it done on a $40 elk tag and shot a really nice herd bull. Tell us about your learning curve and kind of how long it took and what you experienced on that hunt. So, like I said, first time I archery hunted, I missed that bull. So I went into this season after two seasons of hunting what is the east side of Washington where it's uh, spike or antlerless, and most of that time I was practicing calling in bulls. I wasn't really trying to sit areas where I think cows would go, and I was just hoping that I'd get an opportunity as I was bugling at elk. So after that and then having a little bit of success not for myself but for a friend the year before and kind of seeing a lot of the things that it takes to make it happen on a on a bull I uh got a hold of a buddy his name's Robbie super same kind of thing he's just obsessed and he was packing 100 pound packs and getting ready for the season and we were calling each other back and forth and so I think the earliest I went in that unit this year was like April 15th like feet of snow on the on the north side and so just because I just wanted to see what the stuff I'd been looking at maps in the middle of winter were gonna look like you know because I hadn't spent I'd spent some time in there but not enough to like really understand so you were on google earth and then you wanted to verify right away and started getting when did you start putting cameras out I put a camera up that time but I wasn't expecting to see we it was just an area like oh there's enough or not like a lot of snow so I can put a camera here basically so but it didn't nothing really came up and I found out that setting cameras especially in areas where there's a lot of pressure 
what you're finding on the cameras before season isn't really going to be helpful. Um, it's probably more helpful to just walk around, like hike, put miles on, find that nasty country where you think the elk are going to get pushed into. And so the cameras were just like, hey, what, what kind of bulls are hanging around in here? And uh, so I had a lot of stuff going on in the summer. Robbie was checking cams, sending me pictures while I was on Army training and got some, some cool bulls that kind of rolled through. And then as season got closer, it was just kind of like heading in there, figuring out more spots, getting everything dialed, and then Nevada. And you were on, on X mapping a lot, right? Like you were doing tracking, kind of like saving elk trails, you know, vantage points, bugles, camping spots, your boots on the ground, stuff that a lot of guys out east and Midwest don't have the, you know. So the stuff you did is not really relatable to the listener who's like, man, I can't do that. So what things did you do that they could do? Um, I learned to call a couple of years ago. Well, as soon as I started hunting, I calling I knew it was something that I wanted to do and some people hate it, but I call a lot, just like the born and raised or the all all that style of kind of ground and pound, Corey Jacobson. I like, especially in thick, thick western Washington country, or, or at least the Cascades, it's, you can't glass up a bull and try to work in on it. It's all ears, and I'm not a person who has the mental fortitude to sit on a wallow all day, so... Um, it, learning to call was a big one because I think I can, I can get loud. I can reach down into pockets where I'm like, that's where an elk's going to be. And if I can get it to, to sound off, then I know I have a, a chance at getting a shot. So you, broadcasting that locator bugle was one of the, like, probably the thing that you do the most. And um, how much blind cow calling do you do versus broadcasting locator bugles? I think I've found with calling, you kind of just have to go in and test the waters. It's not like this, like I'm going to use this much cow calling, I'm going to use this much bugling. It's kind of like you go in, you locate initially, and then whatever the elk are responding to, that's what you were using. So where I was at this year, the elk could care less about cow calling. It was like you'd cow call and they'd shut up. They like wouldn't care. And so I kind of found out like if I get on a herd bull and he's defensive, I'm just going to challenge till... (laughs) Until something happens, and it was frustrating. But frustrating in that you they would shut up, the wind would swirl, or frustrating that they would like take their cows and leave, and it would be tough to keep up. All of those things, every single one of those things, and so that was the first thing. I mean, I was hunting, I was bear hunting in the nastiest country a month before getting prepped. I killed a bear ten or eleven miles in at like seven thousand feet. I had to call my roommates to help me get it out, but I packed a whole bear 800 feet of elevation up a mountain by myself and then two miles back to camp. So just things like that, being able to have the mental fortitude to stay out there. I think time is another another thing. Like I'm lucky because I'm a student and that whole time, I mean, school starts in the worst time ever. I think it started the 19th this year. But having the first 19 days of September to or whatever the season here is in Washington, I knew I was going to have a set amount of days. And if I didn't have those days, I wouldn't have killed anything. That's right. So, so time is definitely the number one killer. Oh, yeah. And and don't let yourself go home either. Because the year I missed a bull, I went, I think I missed that bull and it got to me. And I was like, nothing's working out. The elk aren't talking. I don't know what I'm doing. And then I went, I had two more days of season left. 
and I went home. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm glad you admitted that because I think a lot of people will be like, I, that w- I wouldn't be like that. I, well, wait till you're out there by yourself and you get lonely and a burger sounds so good and you can't get cell phone service. You, you know, all that kind of stuff um, is a little bit seductive to quit. But if you just grind it out and can talk yourself through and some like a mental toughness thing, um, why are you so mentally tough? Do you feel like you were born that way or do you feel like you've gotten reps through the military? Like I'm trying to figure out like you are pretty tough mentally. I feel like I was a little bit mentally weak growing up. Not to make this weird, but I mean, I had two sisters, no brothers. My dad worked a lot. So I grew up around a lot of women. And so when that, that's not to say anything. No, bad that was about misogynistic. That, <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. I had two sisters growing up too. And so it was a lot of indoor time. Like I played outside, but anytime anything would happen, it would kind of get to me, you know? Yeah. And then you go to school and you learn like, hey, you gotta, you gotta have some sort of mental fortitude. And then going from there, into the military it was just kind of like oh like this is really like there's really times when you, it's really not that bad like it may seem like it's bad but it could be a lot worse it, it could be a lot worse and if there's a lot of like you say delayed gratification at the end of the, the road it's all worth it at the end so that definitely taught a lot of that and then just as I've hunted more and more and more and more it, it all seems to like kind of yeah you have um a really long stride in the mountains like I noticed that right <laughs> out the way when we hunted Nevada together the first time for deer and then i know that you killed that bear in a deep wilderness and um damn near killed yourself getting it out which is awesome and then rolled right into the hunt with me where i think i literally think we did almost 25 miles on the last well me especially with wounding that bull on the last day of the nevada hunt 25 miles in a day in the high country desert so the miles under your boots going into elk season dude you were you've already had 10 days of really good elk hunting, calling, seeing elk rut early, you know, you were primed and ready. And I know I told you this before your hunt. I said, Jacob, I think you're going to kill a bull this year. And I really meant to just, I could tell like you had kind of rounded the corner, like you had your gear, you knew how to call. In fact, I had you doing a lot of calling for me in Nevada because you were, you were very good at calling and your sounds were good and you knew kind of what to say. I was like, yeah, he's getting it. And then I knew you were going into an area that I'd been in where I had called in bulls before on public land with 23 trucks parked at the trailhead. I knew you could still f- like find a way to get to the elk. So I just, in my gut was like, and I knew I'd shot with you at camp, like you're a great shot. I'm like, Man, this guy, like, why wouldn't he kill an elk? Like he's ready. So I told you that. I don't, did you believe me when I told you that? I, I don't think I could believe you. Cause I don't know. It's that certain any time. And I didn't want to, it, it was nice to hear. It made me confident going into the season, but I still, you know, it, it just can never be for sure, especially in, in Washington. I mean, there's a lot of places if you can get away from people, I think you can make it happen with some time. Um, but, yeah, there was, I mean, there was only one person at the trailhead when I show up, showed up, and that was me because I showed up two days before season. And so I hiked in, and this was, I think, the 7th, and um, hiking up the trail, and two bulls start going off just without any, anything going on. So I'm – it was – well, I don't remember when it was getting dark, but it's probably 45 minutes to an hour before it got dark. And they started ripping, like, back and forth to each other. And I, they met up somewhere. I didn't hear any elk antlers crashing, but some, I think someone, one of them was raking a tree, and they were growling. Oh, yeah. Um, and then I went up to the top, got my camp set up, went up to a different top of the ridge, one locator, 
both chuckles from me in a different spot. I mean, he was talkative. And then way down the ridge, I had a herd of bull that was just kind of like, kind of deep. Oh, yeah. And I just shut up after that. I was just like, that's all I need to know. They're talking. Um, And so then I had my roommates came up with me this year, and they are both new to archery elk hunting. So I definitely wanted to spend a little time um, at least getting in a setup with them so they understood what it was like. Um, And then Zach, buddy of mine, he came up as well. So we were all had this plan. He was going to be there for the first three days. But one thing you said when we were in Nevada, you wanted me to hunt alone. And I, I did want to do that, but I just, there was a couple of days in there where I was like, you know, I should hunt with these guys, you know, like work together a little bit. Well, the reason why I told you that is like, I, I kind of knew you had two roommates coming and a buddy and I knew like four people is a crowd when it's, when, when you're on a really, that's a tough hunt. And I was like, man, I don't think anyone has got as much experience as Jacob or the fitness level. And he's kind of like, kind of hunted with me, like see my style. Like, I feel like you could have like just gone my, taken my playbook and ran it. And that's why I was just kind of like adamant that, Hey man, you should probably like tell your buddies, Hey, let's spread out. We'll meet back and share stories, which is nice to have people to come back to and like hear kind of a scouting report or how it went. But like, I just feel, I just didn't know. I didn't want you to have your plans changed by someone else's opinion or if you hear a bugle, you have to all look at each other and decide what to do. Whereas when I hear a bugle, my decision's already made and I know what I'm doing and I'm gone. Like the, the reaction time is so critical. And that's what I want people to take away on this podcast. Hunting solo is all about your reaction time and not like second guessing or having a narrative with uh, a cohort of people. Um, so at what point, we're going to go fast forward. At what point did you break away from the group and go run solo? So like you said, there's a lot of that time before one of bu- bull bugles, it's just bogged down by game planning so <laughs> which, <laughs> the wind's going this way over here yeah that, that all that happens and I started to hate it I started to be like you know what I could if I was by myself I possibly could have got a shot or because we, we had a couple bulls talking early on first I think we had two or three setups in the first four days but it was there was one good po- uh, chance on a satellite that came in when I was talking with a herd bull but I was just calling then so uh, things just didn't work out. And then Monday, Zach went home. Tuesday, I was like, I'm going to go by myself. Like, this is the day. So, but it, it started raining Monday night, and my boots were wet. They dried out a little bit. We started a fire, you know, and I didn't hunt that morning because the area just around where I was, it wasn't, nothing was really happening in the mornings for some reason. Um, every setup we got was afternoon. Um, so... Spent time drying out my gear, got my boots on, dropped into nasty, nasty country, just crazy, nasty stuff. Called, called, nothing, nothing, nothing. Boots were soaked about an hour into it, <laughs> and I think I left at 2 o'clock. So I left, like, ready to, like, get on some elk. So I dropped to the bottom of this valley, probably about 1,400 feet of elevation, and then went down. I had a backup spot. So I had a, I had a before season started, an A, B, C, and then I just figured out from there. So this was my B spot. I had a camera that was set up, and I was like, I'll go check that camera. while I'll, But on the way, I'll hunt. I won't let it be my direct path, but I'll get there. And so just call, work, work up to that spot. Um, didn't hear anything on the way up there. But I get to – so I set up this camera on, like, a bench. It was 
steeper than steep up to it, but there was a game trail I found during uh, before season that was heavily cut, tracks on it all the time, and there was water at the bottom, bedding up top, and feet everywhere, so it just made sense. And so I get up this bench, and the wind is, like, good for a second, and then all of a sudden it's just at my back the whole time, walking to this camera. And there was a wallow back there that I had set it up on. And So I get there, check my camera, stud bull walks through. The same day, it was like that morning he had walked through. Oh, my gosh. And he, I don't, I don't. Did just, you pull the camera guess, or you just put a new card in? Or? I pulled the camera. Okay. Which I, if I was going to be in there longer, I would have left it, but I pulled it just because I didn't want to have to get it any other time. So as soon as I put that camera in my pack, I ripped a bugle and I got a response. And so I'm like, is this that bull that I just saw? Because I didn't realize he was, I, he, he looked like a good bull when I saw him, but the more I've looked at that picture and all I have is like a front on view, he's wide, he's heavy. It looks like he has tines everywhere. And so just crazy good public land Washington bull. And so I'm like, this might be that bull. I can't figure out where it's coming from though. Because I'm on this bench, and it's steeper than steep if you go right off the edge. And so guess what? That's where he was coming from. So I get to a point where I, like, know he's off this edge, but I'm, like, looking at it like, you know what? This is steep. I'm by myself. But that didn't stop me. I was just like, you know what? I'll hold on to alder brush, and if I fall, I fall. So probably not the best best decision, but when there's a bull bugling, it kind of there's a lot that has to happen for me to turn around. So... I slid on my butt off this edge, and I get down probably 20 feet probably, and then it gets less steep enough to where there's elk trails, and a lot of them that it looked like, oh, this is a spot they like to be. And I dropped another 50 yards probably. And I was like, one more locator, and then I'll like figure it out from here. So I bugle, and he's like another 70 yards below me. He lights off immediately, just pissed. So I start raking this tree, just to see if it'll get him more pissed, and I hit a beehive. And so, these, <laughs> and so I'm on this steep hillside, hit the ground, and I just hear oh, yeah. like that noise. And so I take off running down this hill. You grab your towards the bugle elk. tube and bow? Yeah, I, got, I had everything, <laughs> luckily. I actually figured out a way with the uh, Phelps tube this year to have it just underneath my pack where I can just call and it stays there. Oh, nice. So that kind of worked out. I that was kind of something that I figured You're out. You have later. to show me that. That sounds good. Yeah. And you can just rip behind you real quick and then and call and it stays underneath your pack. So I run down, try to get away from bees. Luckily I don't get stung. I don't know how. Um, but where I'm at is an opening of old growth. It's actually open. Like I could see the sky, which is weird for that area. Wow. But there's giant avalanche shoots that have the thickest alder I've ever seen. Oh yeah. And that's where that bull was. There was, there was he one was avalanche. He was a hedgehog thicket. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And I think there was, an, there was like a, a meadow where they were all bedded, in, surrounded by thick, thick, thick alder that is nice. so annoying to crawl through. And so there's a big, big field on my right, an opening, a creek, and then to my left is where he was at. Wind was going up. I got down probably 40 yards away. And I'm challenging him every time he challenges me. And we're just back and forth and back and forth. I can hear it. Like, he's frustrated. He wants nothing to do with me getting in close. But I'm close enough for him. Like, he might come out. So I got behind this big deadfall. And he's not wanting to come out. And so I'm like, 
I'll try to pressure him a little bit more because he's I can't see him. I can't see anything in there. I think at one point I don't remember for sure, but I think the alder started moving from him raking and so I cross this creek and I get up to this other spot and I call and I think he responded one more time, but then after that he just shut up and was gone. Crap. So I don't know if the wind switched, if I just pressured him too much, or what, like anything could have happened. And I think I heard him bugle like one last time as I was hiking out. So I don't know. And it was getting dark and I needed to get back. But by the end of that day, I did 16 miles. Oh, after my two gosh. So you were moving. I was smoked. Oh, yeah. All with wet feet. Yeah. So I got back just destroyed back to camp. Next day, my roommates leave. So were your roommates at camp? They, they were. I think they hunted a little bit that night, but they're, they're just not as motivated. Um, to do that stuff, I think, especially with, they were wet too. Did you tell them about your encounter? Oh yeah. Yeah. I got back. And and they didn't want to go with you? No. No. Perfect. Yeah. So yeah, they were, they were wanting to leave, I think anyway. So, um, Robbie was coming up later. So he had to like, something happened with work and he was pissed and he had to work, but he drew a multi-season tag. So he was coming up Thursday morning. I hunted around camp just to see what was around and nothing Everything had been pressured out by people. There's people everywhere where I was at. And so my plan was, Rob, will come up. We'll move camp together because I know the elk aren't just aren't here um, or at least aren't talking. So next morning, Robbie doesn't show up, and I don't have service, so I don't know what's going on, but I'm like, I'm going to move anyway. So I move camp, get closer to where I was on those elk, um, and then that evening drop into the same valley, and I'm working this creek up further up the valley and I get a response try to work this bull he's across the creek he shuts up I get across the creek come from above him with the wind in my face find fresh did a big loop yeah big loop and I get to a spot where I find like fresh piss and I'm like this is time to call so I bugle and he sounds like he's 150 yards away and it's pretty, like, there's not a lot of things keeping the elk from moving. And I think they're already on their feet feeding at least. Yeah. So I I made a huge mistake here. So I bugled and I sprint. And if I had stopped 10 yards earlier, it might have been a good decision. But I stopped just a little too late. And since this bull had cows, and I, I don't know if it's the same bull. Right. There's a lot of elk in there. So it could have been a different bull. But this bull also had cows. And so... Uh, one of the cows, I think, picked me off. Mm-hmm. So they, they take off, but not, not far. And I just stop. The bull bugles again. So I'm like, okay, I think I'm still in this. Bugle. I move up like another 15 yards, and a cow picks me off. And it's thick. So I'm like, I can't see what their probably ears are poking behind this yep. brush, and I can't even tell that they're there. I can't see bodies or anything until they move. So this happens over and over, cat and mouse, cat and mouse, till it gets dark, and... Never. The bull never, they never figured out that I was a person. Thick country, that's the beauty. So don't give up. Stay on them until you obviously run out of daylight. I think one thing I could have done there is like backed off and really tried to do a different loop from a different angle because they weren't moving far. Right. And if I had like really tried to play the wind and been patient, but it's so hard when an elk's bugling right after you push cows. Like you're like, I got to do this now or it's not going to happen. Or in reality, you probably could give it a little more time. Sometimes when you bump elk a little bit that, that you've created a chaos mm-hmm. or like it, it isn't a bad idea to stay on them because they, in that thick country, they don't, they don't all know what's going on. And then he's trying to do herd gathering bugles and cows and calves, especially calves are just kind of dumb and running all over. 
you can take advantage of those. So I like that chaos. If so, if I bump a herd, it's not game over. Um, my dad's bull this year was like a perfect. We bumped that herd one, two, three different times, and we didn't give up on them. And they probably went about five miles, but we knew the country, knew the elk trails, and just stayed on them until finally we kind of got them cornered. And that chaos really paid off. That cornering is something that works for me too. So um, went back to camp. Next morning I got a hold of Robbie. He had picked someone up who had broken down and drove him into town because he was a super good wow. dude. Wow, so, good human being yeah, there. just a super good guy. So um, I hunt around camp, got on a bull. Like he dropped or like I chased him and he just wouldn't like come to me. Like I cut his tracks, fresh tracks, single bull. Wouldn't respond to cow calls. Would only respond to bugles, but didn't care about me. So I pushed him up over this ridge. I'm like, well, he went away and shut up. So I actually went back to camp and rested knowing I was going to do this big loop. I did some fishing, like ate food that was satisfying, not mountain house. I mean, trout is pretty good when you're when you're in the backcountry. So, um, but I had this big loop plan to see new country, but end up exactly where I got on that bull on Tuesday. So this, it was, this was now Friday. And so, and it was clear that day. It was the first day that had, didn't have any rain at all. And I actually told myself beginning of the week, like if I kill a bull any of the days, cause the forecast, I was like, it's probably gonna be Friday. And so I do this big loop around that Valley. Actually, uh, I was just like creeping cause I had plenty of time. I left at like one o'clock probably. And I'm just creeping through this old, old growth and I bumped at six point. He was like 90 yards out, but I didn't bump him hard. I just, he just stood up because he heard something walking through. Didn't care about calling when I, because I didn't really call a whole lot till after he left. Um, but I couldn't really move because it's that big open old growth that you can't really, they, they can pick you off easy. And so. About 150, 200 yards out, they can pick you oh, off. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I tried to work that bull like a little bit after he kind of ran, because he didn't bust hard at all. So I called a little bit around the ridge and nothing. And then I worked this whole basin, saw beautiful country. I mean, big open meadows, giant wallows, but nothing seemed to be moving through recently. There wasn't uh, anything really going on. There's some cool country back there. So I think, I don't remember what the time was like because I don't remember what time it was getting dark, but I got close to where I wanted to be like at the perfect time, sat down, had a snack. Like if this is the moment I'd, I'm going to need some energy, so I've been there where you haven't eaten anything and you just run out of juice. I actually cramped up running down that hill. <laughs> so this time I was like, you know, I'm not going to cramp up. I'm going to eat something and get hydrated. So I do that, and I get to this spot where it's, again, steep is all, like, crazy. And the wind was jamming up pretty good. I get to the spot, and I rip a bugle. Exact same. Well, maybe not a little bit further down the valley, but... Same hillside, same alder patch kind of stuff. Perfect. Bull lights off. I'm like, it's got to be the same elk. So but this time I was kind of like, I'm going to try to creep in as close as I can get. Because in those alders, they probably, like, if I could get on the edge of them and freak him out enough where he can't see me, he might bust out of that stuff and I'll get a shot. So I'm creeping down. The wind's jamming up in my face. So I know it wasn't the wind. And then all of a sudden I just hear a herd just go crashing down the hill. No. Okay. Yeah, that was my, my whole feeling. Like, well, shit the bed on that one. Yeah. <laughs> my last chance. But I, I didn't give up. I just kind of sat there like, you know what, I'm not going to pressure him. I cow called like three or four times just to be like, hey, guys, I'm an elk, you know. Yep. And uh, 
So 20 minutes later, I start working through that alder, which is like, you know, the worst thing to walk through ever. And so I get down past the alder, and as soon as I get out of the alders, he does a herding bugle. Yeah, herd gathering bugle? Herd gathering bugle. So pretty, like, lip balmy? Yeah, lip balmy, loud, like, hey, guys, I'm over here. And so I was like, well, there's not. Are any cows talking and no. heading towards them? Okay. I didn't hear any cow talk. That whole, well, possibly at the beginning of the season, but, like, it shut up quick. So I actually tried that. So I get down, and there's this trail at the bottom, and I knew they had taken it because there's fresh tracks on it. And I got closer, and I started doing, like, a lost calf. Like, hey, maybe he'll yes. let me know where he's at if I sound like I'm lost. I love the lost calf call. That's one of my go-tos. Mm-hmm. And it didn't work. Like I said, that call, cow calling just didn't seem to do anything. Interesting. And so walked another 20 yards, and then there's fresh piss. And I'm like, good time to rip another bugle. So I rip a bugle, and he is as close to straight up the hill as you can get. Like nice. He was right there, 150, 200 yards. And it's thick still, like brushy. So I was kind of freaked out, though. I didn't want to pressure him like I had been because it just hadn't been working out. Right. But what I didn't know is most likely the cows were tired of running around. They didn't want to go anywhere. And he had 15 or 20 cows. So it was a lot for him to handle. And it's, and it's so steep up there, an elk would have a tough time getting up and over that. So I eventually get the feeling like he's not going anywhere. Like after a couple bugles back and forth, I'm like, he's not going to run away. So this time I'm really careful about making sure there's no elk where I'm going. So I'm picking out like really looking where I'm going before I go there back and bugling at the same time. So I'm ripping bugles, checking country, and I get up to where I think I was probably 40 yards out, and I can hear oh, him. Oh, God, like you made it to 40. I made it to 40. It was that thick. And it was like the dark timber where nothing grows because of canopy, so the, the bottoms of the trees don't have anything on it. I yep. don't know if any of you guys can like think about what that looks like. But then a giant deadfall. An open meadow that's probably 15 by 20. Okay. But not not big. And right at the edge of that, that's where that deadfall is. On the other side, it's brushy. So I can hear he's right on the other side of that opening. Yep. And so, and I can hear that he's pissed. Like, just that frustrated bugle where they're just like, get out of my area. Like, it, it sounds like a human screaming, like blood curdling almost, kind of like that. That Yeah, he was he was close and I could feel it in my chest. So... Back and forth and back and forth. I get up to that deadfall. I bugle one last time, and I can hear him, like, he's close. And so I start raking this tree, and I, like, threw my bugle. I just, or I didn't throw it that far, but I, I tossed it on the ground. And then I see a tree on the other side of this opening just getting tore up. And it's, like, there. Like, I'm, like, I should be able to see him the way that thing's moving. And I just, I'm, like, I'm just going to shut up. I had an arrow knocked. And I'm in that shadowy dark timber that I'm talking about and he walks out into the opening because it was still light enough and I see his legs pop out and I'm like well this is the moment I've been working for it's day eight at this point and I'm tired and I look like a homeless person and and so then I see like I have a shooting lane one shooting lane that's it and there's a tiny bit of branches but they're not they're really small like Enough to the point where it's like, I can sneak an arrow through that, and it's probably not going to affect my arrow much, especially at the 15 or 20 yards he's going to be at in my shooting lane. And so um, 
I see his front, I see his head. I just remember seeing his face, and it was like it. He looked like an older bull. He didn't have that young, fresh kind of skin. He had like he had been in some tussles, you know. And it didn't really rattle me as much as I thought it would. I kind of like been through that moment so many times already. Yeah. <laughs> that it was just like you know what I just need to do this now. So his head's in my shooting lane. I'm like two more steps, and he takes two more steps. But he's pretty severely quartering too. Um. But I was like, you know, I'm not going to pass up an opportunity like that. I'm just trying to hug that that front shoulder, yep. but not hit it. And I was like, I'll probably like I don't, I, I don't know if I thought through this as clearly as it makes sense now. But I drew. He didn't see me because of the shadows, and he was out in the open. Yeah. And I settled my pin and I shot and uh, sent it. And all I remember is hearing that that whack. Like you heard a good sound. I heard a good sound. Never heard that sound archery hunting up until this point and so uh he wheeled and i kind of just sat down and freaked out for a good <laughs> a good 20 minutes trying to figure out what what i was going to do um and so it's kind of like game planning like i'm gonna need help getting this thing out regardless i mean i, I if i hadn't it would have been probably a good couple days of packing meat that um, far in there so after the shot, how much time did you have as far as daylight? Mm, hour and a half, maybe. Oh, God. Okay. So so did you look for your arrow, look for blood, any of that kind of I, stuff? After 20 minutes, because he, he ran, and I, I called. like So he ran probably 50 yards, and I heard him stop, and I bugled and cow called, and then I just sat down and made no more noise. And uh, 20 minutes later, right before I left, I went up, checked where he ran into the woods or into the brush, and there was blood there. I just marked the blood on my, my Good phone. Good blood? Decent blood. Decent. Okay. But um, enough to know I hit him pretty solid. And didn't find your arrow? Didn't find my arrow. And I, I didn't check, like, much at all. I just, like, checked. Like, he ran in. I hit him. Like, there's an animal that's at least wounded because my game plan was go back, get Robbie and our buddy Nick, who was up there too, um, and then have them come back. And I, at this point, I knew he was – quartering two when I shot so I was like I hate quartering two shots on elk by the way mm -hmm. for those listening and so and I've heard stories of elk going far on one lung so I was like it's cold plenty of time I think if I give him any sort of time to expire it's going to be better for me to find him not far from where I shot him so I was like it's going to take me time to get back to camp and get Robbie so I'll just do that and then I'll come back and hopefully he's expired by then I won't have to just sit here right and freak out and possibly start looking too quick mm -hmm. so I do that get back to camp get a hold of Robbie with one or two bars maybe standing on top of a log in the middle of a meadow long story short I talked to some hunters to get a charge for my phone because that's what I had my pin on on Onyx and my phone was almost dead so these awesome guys gave me a charge in exchange for a story about how I shot a bull and then an older gentleman who was there asked if he could come along. I told him, don't feel obligated to. He's like, I want to anyway. So he was along with us. Robbie shows up, not with just him and Nick, but with uh, his father-in-law. So that's, now I have four guys with me going to look for my bull. The next day? No, this this that night. Oh, shoot. So you guys are going We're to get going this bull. In the, it's, it's probably like 10.30. Heck yeah. I mean, would you have even been able to sleep or anything no. anyways? No. So it was cold enough you could have left him? I didn't want to take – I wanted to find him and, like, 
you can sleep later, in my opinion. Yep. Okay. And so, so you guys are heading back in. But before, it's not just four people. So on their way down to my camp, Robbie runs into a guy who I had met at Train to Hunt. Friends of Lampers and Joey and friends of mine. And he has two guys with him. And they're like, oh, Jacob shot a bull. Can we come? God, this place is crowded. <laughs> <laughs> Too many people. But all these people, like the best people you'd ever want to look for a bull. I'm so in shock. So they just stopped what they're doing to help you find Well, it was bull. dark. They were getting ready to crawl in their sleeping bags. Yeah. And so, yeah. Kurt, his name of the guy's Kurt. And he, a couple of buddies with him. So, um, What a bunch of badasses. Yeah. I'd give them all a handshake. That's cool. Yeah. That's awesome. We all, I gave him a bunch of hugs. But, and I've got meat in my freezer for, for one next, next time I see him. But um, So we're all hiking through the woods at damn near 12 o'clock at night. And it's brushy. And they're kind of like, where the hell are you taking, it, taking us right now? And we get up there. And I find where I shot the bull. And Kurt comes up. And he's kind of like, yeah, I, I can track blood pretty good. And we get 10 yards away from where I shot, and it's drop, drop of oh, blood. And we, no. we, we lost blood, actually, for a good 15 minutes, probably, okay. initially. So how many total guys are here? Seven plus me, eight. Eight guys. Who's making sure people aren't um, basically ruining the crime scene, you know, the evidence, like not going out in front, you know what I mean? Well, like that stuff's important. It was me, Kurt, and I think one other, I don't remember who else was up there with us, but we were kind of like looking, and everybody was like, hang it back. So we find one drop, two drop, kind of figure out which directions he's going, but the drops of blood are five to ten yards apart. It sounds like Nevada. Yeah. <laughs> when, on our last oh, day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, um, and then by the time we're all looking, like, by the time it's happening, everyone's looking for blood because it's so drop here, drop there. And it was coordinated, like, surprisingly with eight guys, it was pretty coordinated. We were grid searching for blood and someone would be like oh i got blood up here like sometimes the bull actually veered up for like a second which for like 10 yards up the mountain which made me super nervous and probably like 100 yards away 120 yards so we've been tracking for 40 45 minutes probably kurt finds the arrow he's like i got a bloody arrow guys i'm like okay so i walk over and broad head on broad head on full arrow so what had happened Shot cording two, exited the gut sack. Didn't hit shoulder blade? Did not hit shoulder blade. Didn't nick I it? was actually a little further back than I'd like to be. So did you get that first lung at I all? I did, by two inches. Two inches along all the liver? I think so. I don't, I don't remember if I looked. Probably. Probably. Diaphragm. Guts. guts. Yeah. There was gut material on the fletching. You ain't going to live. Okay. So, yeah, I, was, I knew he was going to die, but the gut thing, even though I knew... I'd hit guts because it's a pretty severe cording too. I still kind of freaked me out a little bit, you know. Oh, for sure. And so then we kind of like figure out like there was a pretty good trail from that arrow on, and I think another thirty yards or so. Someone's like, "I got a bed and there's blood in it," so I'm walking over to the empty bed with blood in it, and my son, like probably as low as I could have gotten That's at that point. That's the worst. And as I'm walking up, the guy who found the bed looked down. And he's like, "Oh shit!" He's down there and he had rolled out of his bed and then from then on it was just kind of the weirdest night because it didn't it didn't say i like walked down there and there's this six point herd bull six by six laying there heavy dark everything you've worked for for the last three years oh yeah and it didn't it it on public land it didn't settle in i was cutting them up like 
you know, like this. this I do want to say when we, you're a bone picker. I didn't, I didn't coin that phrase. Joey did, but I experienced your bone picking ways on my Nevada bull. We took every drop of meat, every organ, just about, I mean, you're, you're a bone picker for sure. So it was probably really nice to have that many bodies. Oh yeah. And a guy named Kyle, he's a taxidermist. So us together, we were just hacking this bull up, like getting every little last drop. That's great. Did you guys get everything out in one load? One load. Oh, my gosh. But it took us from, it was probably only a mile and a half, two miles from the trail. Yeah. It took us, like, two hours. Was it daylight hours. when no. you got back to the camp? No, we left my bull probably two in the So morning. you broke that bull down pretty dang fast. Uh, yeah, we probably found it at 1230, 2, yeah. 2.30 maybe we yeah, left. That's good. Um, we were loading packs at least. And then by the time I had his head on my back with a load of uh, burger meat, and the head, and it, was, it settled, and then I started, I remember just standing there in the dark, just starting to smile like an idiot. Yeah. And then, so we take the brushiest, most ridiculous route back to the trail. Uh, the older guy had to get back to camp. I cut off some backstrap for him, and he was going to do a surf and turf with uh, some crawdads from the lake. And so, but then I loaded that, or someone loaded that extra meat back up, and then I had to run back to camp for something. And so I do that. I run back up this mountain with no weight. Um, Robbie's dad waited for me, and then we got the loadout in one trip. And by seven o'clock, it was at the trailhead. So I was tired. And then then I cut up meat all till probably like nine o'clock that night. And I was probably more tired than I've ever been. But yeah. it was a good feeling. So. Next time you shoot your bull, you come come to my cabin and hang it <laughs> for a week. Makes a really big difference. Oh, yeah. We got room for it. So that's cool. Well, let's recap a couple things. Um, Jacob is how old are you? Twenty four. Yep. When's your birthday? April. So. April. Okay. So you're twenty four years old. Um, you're getting a degree in marketing. Marketing. Yep. Yep. You're pretty good behind the lens for those companies out there. Um, he's he's available for hire. <laughs> he wants to work in the hunting industry. He's becoming a great hunter. Not quite yet. I got another year and a half of school. Okay. And. Uh, He's uh for now he's mine because like I I found him first so I'm gonna try to use him as much as possible with elk shape and uh, until he goes on to bigger and better things but uh, great having you on what's your Instagram? Uh, it is primitive exposure primitive underscore exposure. I didn't figure my name wasn't cool enough to like make it like a photography <laughs> and my name's a little long so. Well we'll uh, we'll bring you back on here shortly to do a, a video of the recap of that hunt when uh, I think it'll be episode 10 or 11. So at the very end we'll kind of recap things and probably need to promote that quite a bit get people on there and get the everyone subscribing to that elk shape YouTube channel. Uh, I want to get that thing growing. And uh, speaking of elk shape stuff, we got to talk about the elk shape camp. So registration is going to go live December 1st. That's going to be at midnight and I think I already am aware there's only 20 spots and I'm getting a lot of messages and people are really interested to know how much it's going to be. It's going to be in that $500 ballpark range. Cause I got to rent my gym, close it down for the members can't come. I got to rent an archery facility. I'm paying three different subject matter experts. We got three camera guys. Um, I got to order shirts. There's a lot of expenses. I got to have a couple extra coaches to help me with everybody on the fitness side of things. So it's going to be like, I want to break even like that's my goal. And I think we can do that. And so that's just what it's going to cost. And so if uh, I think down the road, I can figure out a way to get scholarships for those that can't afford it because I don't want money to ever get in the way of people chasing their dream. Uh, but for now, that's what it's going to be. I do think we'll probably do two this year in 2019 in Spokane. And then uh, if you're listening, if you know an archery shop and a CrossFit gym that are close to each other in a town in the West or 
Midwest, and even East, let's get it figured out for 2020. Let's get out there and get a tour going one a month and do these elk-shaped camps and get people better. So I'm excited about the elk calling part. Ryan Lampert's coming in doing backpacking oh, systems. Yeah. We've got three videographers. Um, my buddy Tim, who listens to this podcast, he's going to be filming 4K. We're going to have you running a 4K. Um, who's Ryan's buddy that's coming? Jeff? Oh, Jeff Luska? Yeah, Jeff's coming. Jeff's awesome. So that's three really good videographers. Um, we'll have my camera on a tripod for the lectures. We'll be able to get those lectures on the internet for those that want to do the online course. And, uh, yeah, I think it's just going to be really thorough. I'm excited for it. Um, so registration goes live. You probably guys will break. Hopefully the website holds up and gets those 20 spots. I do want to say, like, make sure you include your T-shirt size. There'll be a spot in there for your T-shirt. And then make sure that you I want almost everyone to ship their bow ahead of time so buy the strings that's going to be an add-on in the cart but you're going to get the 452x bcy strings put on your bow with matched servings and your bow will be tuned so I'm just going to have guys ship their bow ahead of time and I think the deadline is February 18th just get that thing postmarked to Spokane Valley Archery with your name on it attention elk shape and those guys will have the strings built and your bow will be tuned ready to go all we got to do is tie your peep in when you get there and then uh, I'm just excited. I can't think of anything more thorough for an elk hunter to experience. Um, and then with all the content we're going to get, it's going to be epic. You'll be there. Oh, yeah. um, so that's what, that's what we're working on right now. Just keep cranking podcasts with quality people like yourself that are just blue-collar dudes that are getting it done on public land over the counter. There's something to be said about public land over the counter. I don't know what it is, but I just have another level of respect for those that just go get their tag at the grocery store or the Walmart and go and compete with everybody else. Like you could have quit. You could have quit so many times on this hunt and you didn't. I'm glad I didn't. I got a full freezer. Yeah. Well, um, I'll put a link to your Instagram. Um, what we'll also do is I'll have you write up a little like gear list of the stuff that you use the most on this hunt. Um, and just try to like have a little extra blurb, um, for maybe the elk shape blog. We'll get some information out there to those listening and want to come do this. Cause like they say on the land of free, this is anyone can do this. Mm-hmm. For sure. Right. Yeah. You just got to do it. Takes time, but sometimes it doesn't. You know, you get lucky. Well, you you just got to go do it. Yeah, you have to. You. Yeah, that's cool. Well, thanks for coming on, man. I really enjoyed talking to you. Despite all, sorry for all the kids in the background, <laughs> but uh, that's dad life. All right, Jacob. Well, we'll catch you on the next one when we do the video series, and um, maybe I can talk you into editing a few of the episodes too. Sounds good. All right, later. Bye.